Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager from Nextdoor, the neighbourhood network connecting you to what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought-provoking individuals paving the way for positive change and hear from neighbours who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to where kindness lives. Hi, I'm Jenny Sager, and my guest today is one of the world's most respected business thought leaders, and he's worked at some of the biggest global companies, including Google, Motorola, and Canva. Guy Kawasaki was at Apple in the early days selling the original Macintosh computer. He's known as a marketing evangelist and is a master of sell and king of startups. And he's been kind enough to give us some time today. Guy, I've got to start by saying that if I read the intro for this podcast, I'd probably take up the entire 30 minutes because you've done that much already. Are you saying I'm old? <laughs> no, I'm just saying you've accomplished a lot already in your in, <laughs> in your few years. Um, so I'm going to start, though, the same way we do with every guest and just ask you, what does kindness mean to you? Well, Kindness means that uh, it's primarily, I think, empathy, that you can somehow relate to what the other person is going through. And uh, I am, I'm not a big believer in sort of um, big acts of kindness. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not against big acts of kindness, but I think that the small acts of kindness, the situational kindness is as powerful or not more powerful than the so-called, you know, often fake big acts of kindness. And so that may be how you treat a waiter or a waitress or how you treat a flight attendant as opposed to, you know, donating a million dollars to something. It's so true. And we actually did a lot of research at Nextdoor with some scientists around the world last year that looked into the impact of those small acts of kindness. And we did find that at the neighborhood level, that's what actually starts to have a positive benefit on, on mental health and well-being. So they're so important. Well, of, of all platforms, you should understand and not you as a person, but I mean, you next door should understand that. I mean, it's, in a sense, that's the whole concept behind Nextdoor that um, it is a community, and, and I think that there's a very high human need for belonging, and belonging, in your case, means the geographic neighborhood, but it can mean other things, too. But one fundamental way you can belong is to the geographic neighborhood. So true. And you've lived in many places around the world. How have you personally found that sense of belonging? The, the I think the most thing is, well, listen, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not the guy, no pun intended. I'm not the guy who's throwing barbecues and having friends over all the time and neighbors over all the time and all that. I'm not that guy. Um, I I have uh, our our extended family is roughly eight people, and so I'm plenty busy with just them. Uh, having said that, you know, I I try to be neighborly, whether that is splitting the cost of building a common fence or you know being cognizant of other people and you know making sure my trees don't fall over on their property i mean it's that kind of thing there it's funny though because you mentioned just moments ago empathy being key to kindness and i think that's so important in a good business leader as well so how do you relate 
that kindness in the in the business world, especially going off of what you just said. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's just PTSD from working for Steve Jobs, and I still haven't recovered. But um, I, I, I think you know the golden rule for me is to never ask people to do something that you yourself would not do. And in the workplace, um, I think that that is such a great standard. So to, to take some extreme examples, you know, if, if you are a Silicon Valley company, but your engineering staff is in Bangalore, and if you have a rule that says, uh, you know, director and VP level above can fly business class, but below that you fly coach. So if you're a CEO and you're telling me that you have a policy like that, so you're telling me that, you know, you wouldn't fly coach to Bangalore, but people below the director level have to. And I think that's utter bullshit. If we go back in time to 1983, you were kind of like, here we are sitting here talking about a neighborhood app, which was nowhere even in anybody's mind in 1983. You know, Cabbage Patch Dolls were kind of the, the hot thing. The police had the number one hit song. You know, we're, we're going <laughs> back a fair bit. So what was it like in the early days when you joined Apple? And, and how did that happen in the first place? Well, I am living proof that Sometimes nepotism can work out because my, my sole and primary qualification for getting a job at Apple was that I was college classmates with someone in the Mac division. So he brought me in. At the time, I had a background in jewelry manufacturing and my degree was in psychology. So I'm not exactly the PhD from Carnegie Mellon, MIT, you know, et cetera, who then went to work for Hewlett Packard in third-party software developers. Um, I'm quite, quite removed from that. And so it was nepotism. I'm living proof of nepotism. <laughs> I never heard the title of chief evangelist really until a few years ago. And to uh -huh. realize that you were doing that back then, I think that was so groundbreaking. What did it mean then? And, and does it mean the same thing now? Well, back then, um, the explanation was that, you know, we needed someone or we needed people who truly believed in Macintosh as opposed to, you know, here's another personal computer, throw it over the transom from engineering and here we go. Let's go out there and schlep that baby. So it was a kind of a religious thing that Macintosh was a different user interface. It was a different way to interact with a computer. It had a, it had a mouse. It was you know, graphical user interface, WYSIWYG printing, et cetera, et cetera. So evangelism comes from Greek words meaning bringing the good news. So I brought the good news of Macintosh to developers. Uh, in general, Apple brought the good news of Macintosh to people who wanted to be more productive and creative. And you're obviously still doing it with Canva. So why is this an important title to have, a position to have at companies? And is this something that all companies should look at putting into place? Well, I would say that the first requirement of evangelism is you have to have good news to bring. So it's not a matter of just putting lipstick on any pig. So if, if your product or service truly is not good news, it's hard to get people to be evangelistic about it. And I want to emphasize the word is evangelistic, not evangelical, because that has a very different meaning, especially in the United States right now. So it, it was about bringing the good news. Now, should every company have that? Well, every company, I think, with good news or at least good news for some sector could have it. Does it have to be called evangelism? No. 
um, it, you could make the case it's the purest form of sales. And the way that it differs from most form of sales is it's it has a, a sort of double bottom line, which is, of course, if you're in sales or marketing, you want to make your quota, your, your revenue, your, you know, all that good stuff, your budget. But the difference with, with sales and evangelism is that evangelism also has the other person's best interests at heart. So when I evangelized Macintosh, I truly believed that I was helping people become more creative and productive. I wasn't just schlepping a Macintosh. And today as chief evangelist of Canva, there is no doubt in my mind that I am helping those people have better lives, better being better designers, better graphic artists, better communicators in general. And so it helps to have a product like Macintosh or Canva where it's kind of like not debatable that you are looking out for the other person's interests as well as your own. And for example, if you took an extreme, I don't know if you could have an evangelist for, for a tobacco product, right? I mean, it's like hard to, I don't know how you'd wrap your mind around, okay, so I'm the good news of tobacco. Yeah, lung cancers, stained teeth, you know, <laughs> emphysema, whatever. So it, 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 it has to have an element of you're making people's lives better. So if I were, if I were an evangelist for next door, my good news would be this is a way for you to belong to a community. This is a way to, you know, as soon as you move in there, you join, you know, next door could be evangelized. Is this, are you putting no. your hand in the ring for the role guy? Because you're hired. I, I, will, I will give you another angle for evangelism, which is of, of next door. So that's the, that's the, the, the resident, right? This is how you belong this is how you interact with neighbors. This is how you find out um, that somebody has a used surfboard that they want to get rid of. So I understand all that. You know, the benefits for residents are very obvious. But I also think there's an intellectual case to be made for advertisers, which is you know, if someone is in the Santa Cruz next door community, you are pretty certain that that person lives in Santa Cruz, Right. I mean, it's really been vetted, vetted more than, you know, let's say Facebook. So, so from an advertiser standpoint, if you are a Santa Cruz restaurant, Santa Cruz surf shop, Santa Cruz, you know, ding repair service, Santa Cruz lawn service, it's hard to make an intellectual case how you could get a more focused population than next door. You, you talk about Dave Evans, who created Design Your Life, which I, it definitely yes. touches on that. And so how how do you find that balance in your personal life? I know you love surfing, um, but what yeah. is, what's the secret well, to finding that um, balance? Okay, the truth is that I am not convinced that you can, quote unquote, have balance in your life. Where most people think that, okay, so work and family is 50%, they're equal, they're balanced. I don't subscribe to that theory. I think there are times in your life when you just have to work and your family life will suck. And I think that there are times in your life when your family life is great and your work will suck. And so, you know, this concept of, I'm gonna be like, you know, <laughs> some 
billionaire at Facebook who's going to thread the needle by leaning in. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're worth several billion dollars and you have your nanny has a nanny, maybe. But I think that there's sometimes in life you just have to pay the price. And sometimes in life you're just going to coast. So like right now I'm overpaid for what I do. But there was a time I was underpaid and it's all evening out. Definitely makes sense. I mean, you're talking to a mom of three kids, so I get it. I, yeah. t- <laughs> I totally get that. Um I also want to talk to you about the art of the start and the challenges that people face when they're starting companies. What were, when you think back, kind of some of your your biggest failures through your career or challenges and what you learned from those? Well, the, I think one of the major shocks that came to me came early working at Apple, which is, believe it or not, the best widget doesn't always win. Seriously, we thought that Macintosh would achieve worldwide domination. And I mean worldwide domination, like, you know, 95% of computers would be running Macintosh. So we were only about 85% off. So, so that was a big thing that I just, I thought our biggest problem is going to be production. And let's just say it wasn't. So, so that was a very valuable lesson uh, that I learned early on in my career. That was a, in a sense, it was a disappointment, but um, I also, this is going to sound really weird, but my, my I have a podcast called Remarkable People. I think that my podcast is the best work I've ever done in my career, but it is also the least appreciated. So for whatever reason, Guy the Evangelist can't get the word out about his own podcast. There is some irony there. So, you know, there are days I wake up and I say, Joe Rogan has 6 million downloads and I have 25,000. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) You do have an incredible catalog of guests and I've certainly listened to a lot of them. How do you decide like who qualifies as a remarkable person? Yeah. So it's a lot of it is purely gut. Okay. So there's some that are obvious, right? So Jane Goodall, you don't have to scratch your head saying, is Jane Goodall, is she remarkable or not? So there are people like that. Neil deGrasse Tyson was, you know, uh, Christy Yamaguchi, all remarkable people. But it's really, my, my podcast is called Remarkable People, not rich people, not famous people. You could be rich, you could be famous, you could be rich and famous, and I don't want you. Going back to missions and, and how critical that is for business, can you talk a little bit about why why that is, summing up your business in three or four words and why yeah. that's important? Well, well first of all, um, I have to tell you that I, I detest the word mission, particularly when it use, it's used in the context of mission statement, because a mission statement is always too long, too all-encompassing, too broad, too vague, too bullshit. And... It's often created, you know, by an offsite with the executives who each feel they have to get one word in it, or they hire McKinsey and you pay them five million bucks. And so you end up with things like, you know, we endeavor to create world-class products that exceed the expectations of our customers who are affording our employees the ability to self-actualize their career goals while impacting the environment with as little negative effects as possible while returning an equitable return to our shareholders. Okay. So like which company did I just describe? That's every freaking public company. So, um, so, you know, people ask me, so that's why 
I'm not an evangelist for mission statements. I'm an evangelist for mantras. And a mantra is two or three words. Okay. So if someone asked me, Guy, what's your mantra for your life? I would say empower people in two words. That's what I'm trying to do. Empower people. Right now, I'm trying to empower people with my podcast and make them even more than empowered, but remarkable. And, you know, you could, the Canva, I could describe Canva in two words. It democratized design. If Canva had a mission statement, especially one created with outside counseling and, and consultants, it would be, you know, to endeavor to exceed the expectations as our customers create pictures, graphics, presentations, videos, and other media in order to express themselves in a meaningful way while enabling our employees to self-actualize their goals and provide a meaningful return to our shareholders while killing as few dolphins and porpoises and the Great Barrier Reef as possible. Or I can just tell you, what does Canva do? We democratize design. do on this podcast is share a next door neighbor story from somewhere in the world. And today I want to share with you a story from Virginia Beach in Virginia, in the United States. You know, we always see that people turn to next door in times of crisis, and they certainly turn to their local community. And Robin and Jean had been neighbors for about three years. They were friendly with each other, but they weren't overly close. One morning around 5 a.m., Robin's home caught on fire, and it was quite catastrophic, really destroying everything. She managed to get herself and her puppy, a huge boxer, out to safety, but her home was completely destroyed. She was standing outside, and Jean, her neighbor, joined her and said, come on, you're staying with us tonight. Robin kind of put up a protest at first. She did have this huge dog, but Jean was like, nope, you've absolutely got to come with us. And what do you know? Robin ended up staying with Jean actually for 15 months. She became an honorary family member. She was spending holidays with them together. Her dog made friends with Jean's tiny little dogs. And she actually only just moved into her own place about two months ago. But I think Robin and Jean will be forever friends due to this incredible show of kindness. What do you what do you think about that one? Well, I mean, what am I going to say to that story? <laughs> How can you not like that story? Uh, I, and and all of this happened because of Next Door. All of it happened because of Next Door. Yep, they found each other on Next Door. Jeez, that's a great story. Um, and you know what? I, I, I've i traveled all over the world, and I am convinced that people are more similar than they are different. Yeah, absolutely um, true. I mean, I've been to almost a, just over 100 countries, and I can certainly say for the 11 countries Next Door is in, we pretty much see the same goodness all over the world in the same ways, you know, helping each other out and, and paying it forward and combating loneliness. So I, I totally agree with you. That's great. Yeah. Um, one thing we always do um, at the end of this podcast is we do what we call the kind carousel, which is where we ask some kind of rapid fire, all kinds of questions, a bit of fun. So okay. here we go. All right. As I said, okay. I know you, I know you're a big surfer. If you could go to any surfing spot in the world and be guaranteed the perfect surf conditions, where would you go? I really think Santa Cruz, California is Got the best waves, all things considered. Oh, a dedicated local. I love it. Love it. <laughs> um, okay, I know you love sushi. What's your go-to sushi order? Oh, I'm so boring. You know, if you, you think I'm going to say so like some soft shell lobster with 
caviar with, you know, truffles shaved over it. I hate to tell you, but I like kapamaki and tamago. Two more, <laughs> two more questions. What's your most despised household chore or household task, I should say? May not be a chore. You know what? It, okay, I'll tell you what it is. It's putting away clean laundry. I like the washing. I like the drying. I even like the folding because of the warmth and like, I swear there's like ozone coming out of fresh, dried, in particular towels. But I just hate going around the house, putting them away. I would just leave them there. Well, another thing we share in common is we both have a child named Noah. I've got three boys. I know you have four kids, but I noticed all of your kids have names that start with N. So how did that happen? Our first child is named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the Pharisee who argued against the crucifixion of Christ. So, uh, you know, we were believers. And so Nicodemus seemed like a great name, unusual so that started it. And then second child was born and Noah, for what he did with the ark, appealed to us. The third child is adopted from Guatemala. And in Guatemala, I swear, she had like five different names. One of them was Noemi. So we said, okay, let's stick with the end. And then at that point, you know, when we adopted her brother, it was just so natural to just stick with ends. So <laughs> our other uh, other shared love besides our children is a shared love of Australia, which I know you have as well. I love Australia. There is a restaurant in Balmoral Bay, which is across the Sydney Bridge. It's called the Balmoral Bay Bathers Club, I think. Yeah, so that is my favorite place in Australia. I know it for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Guy. It's been really great chatting with you today. Don't forget to also listen to Guy's podcast, Remarkable People. And of course, to connect with your community, download Nextdoor anywhere in the world for free. Thanks, Guy. Okay. Thank you. 